Hello, everybody, and welcome to another week of Rotating Reels. I'm one of your hosts, Hank Showalter, and I'm calling in from Seattle, Washington. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Keegan Tran, calling in from Portland, Oregon. Give us a hey. I, too, am clinically insane. <laughs> and Taylor May, calling in once again from Seattle, Washington. Taylor, let's hear, uh, let's hear what you sound like with a real microphone. <laughs> Hi, hello, it's me, Taylor. Oh, isn't that lovely? Isn't that gorgeous? So, <laughs> um, today we've got a great review for you coming up. Uh, we're going to be reviewing The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, it's a new Warner Brothers release, so it's in theaters as well as available on HBO Max if you've got a subscription there. Um, but before we get into that review, we're going to do our, uh, our usual segment of what we've been watching. We're going to talk through what we've been watching this past week. Um, and uh, as usual, there's a little bit of a, a soft time limit. So uh, whoever's talking is going to need to uh, try and keep their what they've been watching to within three minutes. So Keegan, why don't you uh, start us off and your three minutes starts now. Okay. So I watched really only two things this week. Um, one of those was Bo Burnham's Inside, but I think I'm going to shelf my opinions on that until a later date. I think we're planning to do a Patreon episode of that. It's just too good to talk about in this very short amount of time. <clears throat> um, so I guess that's already a little bit of a spoiler on my thoughts on it, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, it's his new Netflix special that I think he, it's been a couple years since he's had a uh, actual uh, like full hour and a half special before. Um, but I want to talk about this movie I found called Run, Hide, Fight, which is an absolute fever dream of a film. And I don't remember how <laughs> I found this. But so for some some background, it was produced by a very hyper conservative film studio in Dallas called Cinestate. Um, and it was picked up for production by The Daily Wire. And you can pay like $30 to watch it on their shitty website. The movie is like it's die hard meets columbine so the idea is basically like we have this young girl she's from down home she's like she goes and hunts with her dad in the morning before her school classic tall pretty blonde white girl and while she's in her school shit hits the fan and school shooters come in very columbine style they have the camo jacket uh you know they they have semi-automatic rifles it's very very cliche and the entire movie is her being john mcclain and breaking out the entire school and saving the day and it is a surreal experience and for me watching tucker carlson watching alex jones kind of a guilty pleasure sometimes i think those like crazy far end of either spectrum talking points are really really fun and kind of a guilty pleasure to watch and it's basically if you just watch a tucker carlson into a movie right so we have uh a scene where the school shooter reveals that he's atheist and he tries to kill one of the students because she believes in god he talks on the the radio to one of the hostage negotiators and says bring me a pizza but don't put any cheese on it i'm lactose intolerant because he's a soy boy <laughs> he, he's, he's too much of a soy boy that he can't handle it um let me see what else happens uh, there's a lot, there's her dad sneaks off and shoots someone, uh, through the window with a sniper rifle and he gets arrested by the cops, but is later let go. We have this weird mix of like guns are, it, it really, really pushes this angle that the school shooters are mentally ill because they will go into rooms and talk to the spirits and they do this weird thing where they look like they're swimming and they go, I know, but if you said, if I shoot enough of my classmates, I would get into heaven. It's the weirdest experience I've ever watched. That, that aside, I'm very atheist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the movie's completely all over the place. It doesn't know what it believes at all. But I would say, don't watch this on the Daily Wire to support any of this shitty ideology. But as a movie that's incredibly disrespectful to the idea of mass shootings within schools, it's still weirdly, really, really weird and interesting to see. If you're contextualizing it in the idea that this is coming in from someone that's going to fumble the idea of something that should be taken so seriously. So I would I really hesitate to recommend that people watch this, but it's entertaining in its own right. But it is absolutely incredibly disrespectful and just completely just the most crude sledgehammer of a movie that I've watched in 
you know, the past few times, you know, the past, like my entire history of watching things for the podcast. I think it's one of the most baffling things that I've ever seen. So really weird recommendation, but that's run, hide, fight. And I was really excited to talk about this. Yeah, I'm probably not going to watch that either. I'm not sold, but it's one of those movies where I'm like, I'm glad someone sat through that shit for me. Like, yeah, thank you, yeah. Keegan. It's yeah, it's I do it. I do it for all of you. Right. Yeah. It's it's a thankless job. I do taken one for the team. Um, thank you, Keegan. Uh, you know, in, in honor of your sacrifice, I'll wait a little bit longer to play you out this time. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, so, Taylor. You're back from Hawaii. You're no longer on vacation time. So uh, what have you been watching? Well, I got back this weekend, so I didn't get a whole lot of watching done. Um, I finished up uh, rewatching Dave Chappelle's Chappelle's show. Such a hoot. There's a skit that I forgot about, actually, because I didn't I hadn't watched the series all the way through for years and years now. But there's a skit where he makes fun of the civil rights movement and it's all filled like in black and white. And they're, it's, they're protesting uh, the fact that there's segregation for bathrooms. And so they have a shit-in where they all go and occupy toilets. Uh, man, it's so great that, that there was a time when people were making fun of literally everything. Um, so highly recommend Chappelle's show if you haven't watched it all the way through. Still very, very relevant, sadly. Um, and the other thing I watched, I only watched two things, that and then a movie I texted you guys about, The Paper Tigers. So it's a fun oh. martial arts movie about uh, a bunch of older guys that used to be really into uh, kung fu and now they're old guys and uh well they gotta get back into it for reasons i won't go into but um i you know didn't watch it because it was local but it's all filmed in seattle uh, i think something to do with someone that i think it may have been a kickstarter initially and then raised more funding and one of the funders had studied under bruce lee so it's all filmed in the international district here in seattle recognized restaurants and other places and stuff um china harbors in it so really really fun movie um i i wouldn't say it's a perfect movie but you know definitely an, an eight out of ten for super super small budget um and there are some actors in there that i did recognize actually so it's not you know total unknowns but i think i think this crowd keegan and hank i think you guys would like it it's a lot of fun just a bunch of old guys you know spraining their ankles trying to do shit and yeah it's a good time. <laughs> and that's all i watched just those two things this week okay okay yeah, I, I think I could be convinced to watch Paper Tigers. Um, I like me some kung fu. Yeah, I've heard especially good about movie it as well. format. Yeah, it's and I nothing really films in Seattle otherwise, right? Like, it's, there's no tax benefit to it, so I feel like people usually film in like Vancouver, BC. Mm-hmm. But like, I think Seattle's a pretty distinct big city, so it's cool. Like, because I watched the trailer, I feel like there's a, a decent presence, like you said. Like, if you're if you ever lived in Seattle, it seems pretty pretty distinct from the trailer oh yeah if you lived in seattle you will recognize tons of places in it um but i think they probably just did it because one of the big sponsors of the movie wanted them to do it here it doesn't seem there's any yeah. you know other narrative reasons why i'd be here well i don't need a, a reason for a movie to be set in seattle you know i'll enjoy it <laughs> just for that fact all right and is that that's all you've got taylor that's it all right once again you made it in way under time unlike keegan so, um, with that, I'm going to get to my what I've been watching. So, Keegan, feel free to start my timer up. Uh, so, I actually went through and wrote down what I've been watching this week because it's been brought to my attention that I've been missing some things. Um, so, I actually didn't have a super heavy week, but I still typed it in. For those of you listening in, you can't see it, but I'm waving my phone at the camera right now to my co-hosts. Um, so, anyway, what I've been watching... Uh, it's been all TV this week. I uh, I, I I didn't have it. In, I, I've been having some pretty busy weeks lately, so I didn't have uh, I didn't have a movie in me. But I've watched a number of TV shows. Um, I started watching through JoJo's Bizarre Adventure again. Uh, I think two weeks ago. Continued watching through it this week. Uh, I'm still on that first arc where it's really not all that bizarre, but I enjoy it. Uh, the art style's super wonky. Um, the plot is nonsense. And uh, I really like that there is an old, uh, like, uh, I think, a Tibetan master that's named Ton Petty. And uh, two, of his, two, of his, uh, two of his students are named Dyer and Straits. Um, and then, uh, yeah, anyway, it, it's, it's pretty out there. I like it a lot. I watched the first episode of Netflix's uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor 
which is a Mike Flanagan series. He also produced uh, The Haunting of Hill House. So I read The Haunting of Hill House, uh, really enjoyed the book. Didn't enjoy the series as much. Uh, it's pretty, you know, pop horror-y. Like, it's, it's, it's competently done, but that's, like, the best thing I can say about it. Now, Bly Manor, I honestly think it's kind of a stinker. Uh, you know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of Flanagan fans out there. They may disagree with me. But uh, if you've seen any number of horror movies, you've seen literally everything this show has to offer. And uh, I haven't actually read the source material for this one, The Turn of the Screw. But my understanding is that it's a little bit more understated than this, which I think would have served the show well. So not a, not a recommend from me on Bly Manor. There's, there's better t- horror TV out there for you. Um, besides that, watch the latest episode of Watchers Are You Scared, which is a YouTube series, but I include it because it's great. I love seeing people read creepypastas. Ryan and Shane are great personalities. It's like, you know, it's like hanging out with a couple friends. Definitely recommend it. This episode was kind of a gross-out episode, so if you're squeamish, uh, maybe stay away from it, but the rest of the season's pretty easy to stomach. Um, then... Were you scared, though? Uh, not by this one. <laughs> um, yeah. So besides that, I checked out a couple uh, Hulu docu-series, both of which were terrible for different reasons. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I, I only made it through one episode of, of each for, for, you know, fair warning. So I could be, and I'm going to go over time, but it's worth touching on both of these. So the first thing I watched was uh, the Nostradamus effect, which is essentially a series where they're talking about how Nostradamus predicted that world leaders would be three antichrists, and they're trying to determine which three historical world figures are antichrists. Um, And there's a really great (laughs) sequence, in my opinion, where they pick out the fact that in one of his quatrains, Nostradamus wrote the name Mabus, and they try and convince the viewer that Mabus is an encoding of George W. Bush. Um, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Totally. Makes they're, sense. They're, they're like, yeah, you just have to flip two letters. They literally just flip two letters upside down and then like drop the H from Bush. It's, it's nonsense. It's hysterical. <laughs> um, they also, oh, oh my God, there's, there's too much to get into there. But uh, whoever made that show is very sure of their positions. And I don't agree with any of them. <laughs> Um, you know, to be clear, I kind of think Nostradamus is, is an interesting nut. So the fact that people are like looking at his, his, you know, quote unquote prophecies and and think there's anything there, just, you, you were already losing in my eyes, but, uh, this show, it's kind of entertaining nonsense, but, uh, I'm not sure if I really want to support the people that are, that are pushing this agenda. Um, (laughs) that Nostradamus got it all right. Anyway, Nostradamus effect. Second thing I watched uh, on Hulu was their uh, docuseries The Most Dangerous Animal of All, which is... Uh, f- I, Taylor has a look on his face. He might have heard of this one. So anyway... It's hippos. It is hippos, yeah. No, uh, so this <laughs> one is following a guy uh, who is an adopted child uh, who discovered who his father was. And in the first episode, they revealed that his dad was like kind of a shitty dude. Um, his, his dad was like basically a pedophile. He picked up his mom when she was like 14. Oh, no knocked her up that year um and then like really did not support her uh with the child i think he forced her to give the 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 author of this documentary up for adoption against her will just a really shitty dude um but then the documentarian asserts that he believes that his father was the zodiac killer um, and oh, the evidence that he cites in support of this is that late one night he was watching a television feature on the Zodiac Killer, saw the police sketching of him, and it looked like a photo of his father. Um, <laughs> there is virtually I mean, no other supporting closed. evidence here. Uh, so You don't need any with you that. Know, I, I, I definitely don't agree that his dad was a shitty dude. Um, he just wasn't that particular shitty dude. And that was only the first episode. Like... Uh, Maybe he has more compelling evidence to look at to to back it up, but you know, I I, I looked it up and uh, it looks pretty thin to me. I don't think I have another <laughs> few episodes of that series in me. Um, so anyway, I've gone way over time, but I just want to throw out there uh, I've continued watching through Adventure Time. Uh, it's gotten a bit better in my eyes, a bit less of like the you know lol so random humor. But really, I'm trying to get through it because HBO Max is releasing a special mini series that extends Adventure Time. It's four one-hour episodes, and I'm looking forward to get to those. Not quite there yet. Still have a few seasons in front of me, but I'm excited to see it. And that's what I've been watching. 
Hank, nice. I, I really want to remember your <clears throat> your sentiments on pop horror and the reasons you didn't like Bly Manor. And I think those are all going to be very telling <laughs> as we get into our review of The Conjuring 3. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I, I might even bring some of it up when we talk about The Conjuring 3, because I don't dislike pop horror as a concept. Like, I think there's a place for it in the horror world. I just don't think that Bly Manor is a, is a great example. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a standout example in the field. And I also have Fair feelings enough. about The Conjuring, but I'm going to wait a couple minutes to get those out. <laughs> um, so with that, we finish what we've been watching, and we're going to transition on into our spoiler-free section of our review of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Wouldn't want to spoil it. Wouldn't want to spoil it. You would never predict what happens in this movie. What's going to happen? Um, so for anyone that hasn't watched our show before, uh, we do our reviews in two sections. Uh, the first is spoiler-free, where we just talk about you know performances in the movie, general thoughts about the direction, cinematography, that sort of stuff. And then the second uh, part of the review, uh, we just spoil the whole damn thing and tell you, you know, our overall uh, opinions, you know, we give ratings and stuff. So if you haven't seen the movie, you're clear to keep watching. We'll give you a warning before you get to that spoiler section. And then if you still haven't seen the movie when we get to that section and you think that you might be interested in watching it based on our spoiler-free section of the review, give it a pause. The podcast will be there when you come back to it. But without further ado, we're going to get into that spoiler-free section. So uh, to kick us off, I'm just going to read out the IMDb blurb for this movie. Uh, this is actually, in my opinion, one of the best and most descriptive IMDb blurbs ever written. Um, and it reads as follows. The Warrens investigate a murder that may be linked to demonic possession. <laughs> that was the entirety of the blurb. Um, They're back at it, baby. Back at it, baby. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so... I mean, that that pretty much sums up the entirety of the film. Uh, it's really great, really concise, uh, unlike the film. So, <laughs> um, anyway, with that, I want to ask my co-host general thoughts. So, Keegan, you started us off on what we've been watching, so I'm going to kick it to Taylor first. Taylor, you watched it. What did you think? Did you see the first two? I did see the first two, um, and so that really, you know, helped me know what i was getting myself into <laughs> and so with that kind of framework in mind of, of watching the previous movies knowing who the warrens are knowing what they're about they're just out there to kick spirit ass and to take names for the fucking vatican i had a great time i loved the movie anytime anything crazy or stupid happened i was like more i want more of it i want her crawling under the house in the dress in the you know, gone with the wind style prairie dress shit that she wears. I love Mrs. Warren's outfits are the standout uh, cast member for me. Whoever did her outfits, they, they should win an Oscar for it. Everything else in the movie pales in comparison to these billowy sleeves and frilly tops that Mrs. Warren wears. So I had a great time. I would, I would highly recommend it. If you like the first two Conjuring movies, go ahead and watch this one too. All right. Taylor. I don't know if you noticed this to, to, to catch up on that. The skirts she wears, they always are an identical, <clears throat> excuse me, an identical print to Mr. Warren's ties. If you look every scene, it's the same print. So cool. Mm -hmm. They know what they're about. Yeah, <laughs> that is a stylish couple. There's definitely no arguing that. But uh, Keegan, can we get some general thoughts from you? I fucking hate this movie so much. <laughs> I truly had a horrible experience watching this movie. I watched this, I want to say I watched this three nights ago, uh, maybe four nights ago, very, very recently, and I'm struggling to remember certain plot points. I don't remember a lot of what drives the narrative of this movie, and I just really think this is the worst kind of forgettable pop horror that you were just talking about. And it's so disappointing because you asked Taylor, right, if you had seen the first two Conjuring movies, I feel like it's it's this classic scenario of like you die at the Conjuring one or you live long enough to become a horror knockoff of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's it's just it's the worst kind of derivative jump scary bullshit that the first few movies and like even Insidious 1, I feel like these earlier entries in like the Bloomhouse James Wan cinematic universe, they were they were trying to actively be something different. And I feel like they've had so much staying power. They've been so financially successful that we just really start to run dry on any kind of 
nuance or creativity that could be brought into this. And I think Taylor, you enjoyed it for the reasons that I'm saying I didn't enjoy it. So that's completely fair. I think if you're really looking for something to enjoy in the way that Taylor enjoyed this movie, I think Annabelle comes home. The third Annabelle movie is actually a really, really fun and schlocky entry in the series that, that, that's how I felt about that movie where it's, it's not a, a spectacularly crafted movie, but it has enough fun house of horror, cheesy kind of watch in the theater and scream with your friends kind of horror that I think this movie just didn't pull off as well for me personally. Uh, there's some things that considering that this is supposedly based on true events, I feel that are like borderline disrespectful to some people's <laughs> legacies that we can get into into spoilers, but man, oh man, I really did not enjoy the experience of watching this movie at all it ain't about you man it's about cleansing <laughs> the world from demons okay Taylor gets it yeah so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna round us out with my thoughts i think i'm kind of in between these two uh i had like a pretty good you know popcorn munching time watching this movie you know i went in and i was like i enjoyed the first two conjurings pretty thoroughly but this isn't directed by james wan and I know what happens when someone else directs movies in his universe. Um, so I, I came in and I was like, this isn't going to be good. But maybe there's going to be moments where it's so bad. I'm like, hey, that's shit. <laughs> um, and there definitely were. There were there, and we'll get, in, we'll get into those later in spoilers. I think we can talk about a few of them. There are a few standout moments where it was just so bad that you had to cheer. Um, <laughs> but, you know, besides the fact um, that it's derivative garbage... Um, I'd say it's like fairly competently made, you know, like it's got good actors in it. Um, the cinematography is surprisingly decent throughout. Uh, and it's clearly made with a much bigger budget than they deserved. Um, yeah. you know, like think of all the families this movie's budget could have fed. Like, like, I mean, I, I don't know how anyone justified the making of this film. But it's really, you know, it, it, it's it's entertaining in spite of itself. I'd say my my overall like sense from this movie is, you know, I've seen the first two Conjurings uh, multiple times each. I've, I've also seen the rest of the movies in the franchise, but uh, the first two Conjurings, you know, they're both directed by James Wan. I think maybe only the first one, but they're both pretty good. The first one was fairly unique for its time. It kind of kicked off a big wave of like what I like to call PG-13 <coughs> horror, where it's horror that's really gotten away from, you know, the gore fest of Saw and like the campy gore fest of like the, the slasher movement. You know, it's really focusing on, you know, like spirits and stuff that doesn't have like a lot of blood spurting out. It, I don't know if, if the first Conjuring really kicked that movement off, but it was one of the, the standout mo movies kind of in that movement. Um and the second conjuring kind of moved away from that a little bit they're like you know let's get uh like it was still kind of a pg-13 horror movie but you know it had been that the genre had been established at that point and the second one was like yeah let's try and get like some more more spooky things in here there's a bit more variety in it that really worked and then this movie uh was directed i i believe i might have already said it but i think it was directed by michael chavez and i'm pretty convinced that he watched through the first movie the first two movies and uh you know, for like his directorial notebook was basically just taking notes on what people seemed to like in those movies and just putting every bit into this movie because that's what it watches like there was nothing original in this movie it was just repeating like fan favorite moments from the first two more or less and uh, you know overlaying them over this you know like quote unquote true story um, and we can talk about which parts were actually true which parts were complete fabrications uh, you know the answers may surprise you but anyway nothing <laughs> original in this movie i don't think uh i don't think there is any justification for it being made but since it's already out there you know like grab a beer grab some popcorn and uh you know make fun of it to your heart's content you'll probably have a good time um grab a couple beers though do i, I don't think one's gonna tide you over yeah i mean yeah, i don't i, I don't want to encourage our audience to over drink but uh, it might help <laughs> this movie's going to encourage him to overtrain. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, that's all I think I can say without spoiling specific parts of this movie. So if you guys have anything else you want to say, floor is open. I, w 
I want to say I thought all the actors did an incredible job. And sometimes when they were really giving it to you, I was like, guys, you don't need to try this hard. You don't need to put yourself out there so much. But they really did. The acting was great. Like you said, Hank, I think it was all competently well done. There's no like, I don't have any problem with any of the, the scoring or the cinematography or the coloring. All that stuff was very expertly well done. And then you're just along for the ride, man. Yeah, I, like I, it really feels like uh, actually maybe everyone except the writer, I'll say. But like everyone involved with this movie, you know, like they got a job, they're offered good money for it. And they're like, I'm going to do my best. I'm, I'm going to really, I'm going to give it my all. And then they got the script and they were like, oh, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to do my best. And they did. They really did. You know, uh, to be clear, the cinematography, the scoring, the acting, like the sets, the sets, the costumes, like really yeah, everything yeah. was really well done. It just did not coalesce into a good movie. Um, and I mostly well, blame the writer to, and the director. Well, it's hard. It's hard when you're trying to adapt to a real, true story with a hundred percent fidelity and accuracy. You know, I mean, that's always going to tie your hands <laughs> as a writer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think that's all we can say without spoiling it. I have a few specific moments I really want to touch on. A few, you know, things throughout the movie really need to be discussed, and I think that our review is going to benefit from being able to. So. <laughs> Keegan, do you have any last words before we move on to that bit? Absolutely not. I have many words post-spoilers. All right. I'm good. Phenomenal. So uh, all the hosts are going to step away for a moment, refresh our glasses, take a trip to the little boys' room, and we're going to be back to tear this bitch apart. So uh, (laughs) don't turn the lights off. (laughs) All right. And we're back. So this is the spoiler section of our review of the conjuring the devil made me do it so if you haven't seen the movie you think there's any chance you will give it a pause go watch the movie but if uh you have seen the movie or you're not interested in watching it feel free to listen there's going to be some fun shit here so with that there's one thing that i i really want to touch on so um ed and lorraine warren the uh the protagonists of this film they're based on real life people uh the the, you know uh there are a lot of conflicting opinions on them uh what can be said is that uh they're they were they're actually both dead so i should say they were not they are (laughs) they were paranormal investigators um they did a number of very high profile cases including the amityville haunting um and by all accounts complete fraudsters the both of them um just really no indication they had any credibility uh they with some regularity it's my understanding did write-ups of cases they had no involvement with um there are accounts of them showing up to cases being turned away by the door other paranormal investigators doing the investigation and ed and lorraine warren still like would write a book or whatever on the case so by all accounts, complete fraudsters. They really bear very little resemblance to uh, the characters being portrayed by Vera Farmiga and uh, Patrick Wilson. Now then, another thing about Ed and Lorraine Warren, or about specifically Ed Warren, is um, he bears very little physical resemblance to Patrick Wilson. <laughs> now, Patrick Wilson, kind of a hunky dude. You see him in this movie, like he doesn't have a belly at all. He's got, you know, pecs that basically show through his buttoned shirts, his arms. You know, they really well fill out his sleeves and not because he's been overeating. Um, and Ed Warren, <laughs> feel free to look up a picture of him. It's uh, There's really no indication he, he was in anything that could be described as a state of physical fitness. Um, so the reason this is important, I'm not just, I'm not just shitting on him for being out of shape. I'm not in great shape myself, but the reason this is important is that, uh, relatively early in the movie, there's a scene where Ed Warren suffers a heart attack, uh, ostensibly because of demonic interference, which is really the only way a heart attack makes sense for someone of Patrick Wilson's description. However, if you were to sub in Ed Warren for the actor that is portraying Ed Warren, I would wager that this heart attack <laughs> would probably not have been caused by demonic interference and more likely be caused by a lack of physical activity and a poor diet. 
Um, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Now then, this heart attack remains important throughout the rest of the film uh, because Ed Warren, portrayed by Patrick Wilson, has to kind of stagger around with a cane throughout the movie. There's a lot of scenes with him running, you know, 10 steps and finding himself very out of breath. And it's honestly just not very believable with Patrick Wilson. He looks like he's in great shape. Like, like, I don't know if you guys had a similar experience, but just seeing him get completely out of breath, like following his wife 10 steps into the woods, it just didn't look believable um, because he no, looked yeah. nothing like the man he was portraying. Um, From a fitness perspective, that's like the ideal of what you'd want to look like in your mid forties, right? Like, I think if any forty-five-year-old dude had that body, they'd be like, "This is great. I'm, I'm holding up great. I'm still in good shape." But I'm actually, twenty-four, I and down, I wish I looked like that. <laughs> he looks. I mean, yeah, he pinnacle Hollywood mid forties guy. But I'd actually written this down as a note because it's like it's the quintessential Indiana Jones. Like, if he wasn't there, this like other and you talked about this in the the writer and the like it's not written very well other than the actual scene where it takes place right we need to get him out of the scene where he's holding down the boy they're exercising because he's clearly the strongest in the room incapacitating him means we basically just have arnie and two small women so it makes sense that the little demonic boy could overthrow them so in that scene, it makes sense that we incapacitate him. <laughs> what significance does him having a heart attack serve to any subsequent scene in the entire movie other than making him have to do this weird affect, like you said? It is so inconsequential to the rest of the plot. And it's so distracting where it's, like you said, it's this guy who's in pretty good shape for his age. And he stands up out of his wheelchair, walks five feet across his room, and his wife goes... Don't push yourself today, honey. You should really be in your wheelchair. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, and it's diminished further by the ending sequence of the film, where he picks up a sledgehammer and proceeds to swing it, you know, at full extension dozens of times, smashing through walls, locks, stone altars. <laughs> so the thing is, with Patrick Wilson, seeing him do that, easy to believe the man's in great shape like i didn't need to pretend it was like a foam mallet or anything like i would believe patrick wilson could swing this sledgehammer that many times however given the knowledge that he was supposedly a victim of a heart attack in the in the recent past so i was thinking why would they write this man swinging a sledgehammer so much i mean if you've never <laughs> swung a sledgehammer it's really hard to do they're really heavy and at full extension it's a bunch of weight very far away from your body it's not an easy task and then it's further undermined by the fact that going back to the actual ed warren i do not believe that without a heart attack he would have been able to swing that more than two or three times he it's just it's too difficult so if you included hank i i <laughs> I think you're misleading our, our listeners, Hank. The, the scene where he gets the heart attack, there's a little boy who just before that had turned into a contortionist as the devil has possessed him or some demonic spirit. So he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. He jumps from the table on Ed, puts his hands on his heart, and then whispers something and mentions the word heart. I forget what he says. going to crush your heart or something, but it's all in a creepy demonic voice. I mean, like, that's what happened, Hank. Don't, don't, don't try to tell people that it was just a kid or heart attack. A <laughs> demon child jumped on the man. And then, when he's swinging the hedge sledgehammer later, he's possessed himself by the demon, giving him extra human strength, controlling his body. I, I, I think this is a pretty clear-cut case of demonic possession. And I, I wouldn't want our viewers to get, you know, too lost in who's been exercising or whose genetics predispose them to heart attacks, that kind of stuff. You know what? I think you're right. Did Maybe I'm being a little bit un unfair to the writer here he did a great job including the demonically induced heart attack and then the possession <laughs> at the end of the movie like i thank you yeah you're right like closed loop i don't see any holes here not a single hole there um you know it's but looking at looking at the true events i just i cannot fathom even if it was a book written by the warrens looking at it and saying we need to give ed a heart attack that's gonna last throughout this entire movie what is i the, figure like, do I you figure know what, what happened is he, his fat ass probably had a heart attack and they tried to think of some. <laughs> he probably wrote in the book, oh, no, it wasn't because of all the food I've been eating. It's the little kid. It's not because I eat like Elvis Presley. It's because a demon child freaking Dragon Ball Z finger pressed my chest and sent yeah, the that's demon what happened. 
Yeah, that's actually it wasn't my life choices. <laughs> but believe me, it had, I like that theory. It had no impact on Ed's ability after the demon had left him to smash the altar in half with the sledgehammer. He was still perfectly capable. Well, then capable. he was just amped up at that point. I think I think he has two heart attacks. I think he has that one, and then later he like has like another heart issue unrelated to the demon. Like the demon just so fucked his heart up that. Yeah. yeah, it's like aftershocks with your heart. But anyway, that was one of the big things I wanted to mention because I'm already suspending my disbelief pretty high for this movie. <laughs> but watching Patrick Wilson get out of breath, like running, you know, a dozen steps was just, it was too much. I can believe yeah. in demonic possessions, but I can't, I can't track with that. Hank, so I feel like you probably know about the real case more than I do. So I'm curious, like, I, I don't know anything about this case of Arnie. Because I, I know it's based on a, a somewhat true story where it was the first time in, the, in America that someone had claimed under oath that they were demonically possessed and took out those actions because they were not in their right mind. Um, but something that I had a lot of issue with is they basically set up the victim of his murder to kind of be a sleazy douchebag. And it's, I don't want to go as far as to say like he had it coming, but they really make this an unlikable character that if any character was going to be cut from the cast after watching the first 10 minutes, you're like, Hey, that guy could die and I'd be fine with it. Right. He's sweaty. He's a drunk. He kind of awkwardly gropes his girlfriend in one scene when they're dancing. And it just, it does a lot to make him look like he's this guy who is again, not, deserving of it but not necessarily going to be missed and i don't necessarily know that that's a good way to speak about the person that was actually killed and what their legacy is so does that track at all with the real story yeah so let's talk about the real story uh so uh the the, the story as keegan mentioned it's about the, the first trial in united states history where someone claimed demonic possession as a, as a defense regardless of all that here is what supposedly happened in real life a young boy named David uh, shows signs of demonic possession. It gets intense. As a very last resort, his family turns to Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, who, you know, come in, try and help, uh, may or may not manage to do anything because, you know, they're shysters. Um, anyway, the possession is resolved for the young boy. Uh, a few days or a few weeks later, someone who is somehow related to the boy, I'm actually not sure about that, but Arnie, Real name is Arnie. In the movie, his name is Arnie. Arn he's dating the brother boy's mom. Yeah, he's dating the, yeah, the, he's... the boy's older sister, uh, who is really named Debbie in real life. Anyway, and he he uh, work, or he doesn't work there, but his girlfriend works at a dog shelter that is run in real life by a man uh, whose last name is Bono. They changed it to Bruno in the movie for some reason. But um, a couple weeks, <laughs> yeah, a couple weeks after David's possession ends, Arnie calls out of work at a, uh, I believe, a lumber company, as 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 shown in the the movie, or a landscaping company or something, claiming he's sick. Comes home after after claiming he's sick, has some sort of a verbal altercation with Bono in the film Bruno. Uh, they make some claims that uh, that Bono was intoxicated at the time, and then Arnie stabs him 22 times to death. Um, so I would say the most realistic part of that death was the fact that he got stabbed a whole bunch. Um, Debbie may or may not have been in the room, and Bruno may or may not have been drunk. Um, but as far as I know, there were really no claims as far as him... Uh, you know, making uh, untoward advances on Debbie or anything like that. Uh, it, it, it really sounds like there, there was a reason uh, that it was, uh, that they, they had to make <clears throat> claims of demonic possession. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there was like really a self-defense sort of, or, you know, defense of others type defense there. Uh, I think mm -hmm. he was just an intoxicated man who, you know, Debbie worked for, and then Arnie stabbed him to death. And so just uh, the rest of the movie is a little bit more fictionalized. You know, they were fairly faithful up until that point. Uh, but it's just worth mentioning, uh, Arnie was convicted, convicted of manslaughter in the first degree, served four years of his 16-year sentence, and is now married to Debbie. Um, so that's, that's how the story ended in real life. Yeah. 
Wow, so that guy got jealous of uh, his girlfriend's boss, stabbed him a bunch, and then the crazy Warrens come and say, whoa, I think it was actually that possession from earlier. And he goes, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and then Ed had a heart attack, and he goes, okay, well, you're covering for me. So it was the demon got you too. That's what happened to you, Ed. It wasn't your health. Exactly. Yeah, no, I just, just a bunch of... Yeah, so tunes, man. yeah. To to speak to your point though, Keegan, not really sure that they're uh, you know maybe they changed Bono's name because they were depicting him so poorly. But yeah, they really make him look like a shithead in the movie. In real life, he may have been drunk. Um, so you know, take from like, that you know who general audience, like general audiences would not take to us killing Bono from U two. Let's name him after Bruno <laughs> Mars, <laughs> someone they'd be okay with watching on screen die. <laughs> God. Taylor, I feel like you yeah, were so I, vocal. What 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 good are you saying in this movie? Can you defend this a little bit for me? I mean, I mean, come on, it's utter it's utter nonsense. These these people were crooks when they're alive. I'm glad they're dead. I hope they burn in hell. I you know, it's just, it's just it's just nonsense, right? It's it's I mean, almost uniformly paranormal activity people are either crazy or taking advantage of people who are crazy. Like that's generally what's going on here. Right. So I like to imagine that it's at, nope, actually it's demons. It wasn't, it wasn't that Ed was out of shape. It was a demon child got his heart. <laughs> that's a much more fun story to me than a guy stabbed another guy in a dog kennel because of who knows what I, I much prefer the demonic possession uh, side of it, but I'm a little torn as because I am a card carrying member of the satanic temple and Satanists <laughs> get a lot of heat in this movie that I don't think is, is well-deserved at all. There's, you know, there's not to, well, I guess we're going to spoil it now. So in fact, the title is, is, uh, is totally misleading. The devil didn't make him do it. A satanic lady got the devil to make him do it. So she's the real source, the Satanist. She's the source of all the bad stuff that really goes on. And so there's all these times when the Warrens are discussing who this Satanist lady might be before they've really identified her. And they're just taking constant pop, pot shots at the Satanic community. And, uh, you know, that made me feel a little bad to see my people represented in that way. Um, but, you know, if I, I'm just I'm just taking it all with a grain of salt. I will say that uh, if if this is true, if there are demons, if the church is aware of it, the Vatican did not do shit to help the Warrens. The Warrens are out there. They got a priest who's like every once in a while there's a priest pops into scene to do something, but mostly it's the Warrens kicking ass. And the Vatican seems to know this is all true. Like they need they need to get some some monks out here, maybe some warrior nuns. I don't know, but they're <laughs> they're just playing this with a real offhand, and that uh, I think even more reason to consider the, your local satanic temple. Yeah, no, I I just really like to say that the the Vatican's involvement in this movie. <laughs> So like what we've got like two priests, right? We have the uh, the prison chaplain at the prison that uh, that Arnie's at, completely useless. The the guy can barely recite his Bible. Like he's got it. In, he's worse than useless. He's got it out in front of him. He's just making things worse with a Bible. Like how how? Um, and, and then and he gives the holy yeah, water gives, to the he kid. Gives, he gives Arnie a glass vial of holy water. And, which Arnie then, you know, breaks and tries to use to slit his wrist. What should you not do? You shouldn't give mentally <laughs> ill people in prison glass objects that can be broken and used for cutting. This is like... He's literally in Suicide Watch, and this guy gives him a little <laughs> glass vial and says, everyone can fight for themselves, Arnie. Like, good luck with your Bible and saving yourself from the demon. Yeah, so that's one Catholic priest we got in the movie. The other is a guy that I guess retired, okay, and so he was put in charge of keeping the Catholic Church's, like, satanic, dangerous relics, right, that they apparently just keep in a mill in the, in the Northeast Midwest somewhere. somewhere. Or Midwest. <laughs> yeah, they, they just have a mill. They just keep a bunch of satanic relics there. They're, they're like, why didn't you burn this? And he's like, well, we prefer to have them. Like, that's an answer. Um, but anyway, he's living there. Um, he's raising a daughter just amongst the satanic relics. And he's like, I'd always hoped she wouldn't find them interesting. And what kind of idiot raises a kid among, amongst a bunch of like forbidden objects and goes like, yeah, they're not going to be, they're not going to be into it. <laughs> eh. 
<laughs> well, he he showed them to her, right? He said that goes well, well. You know, children always have a way of perverting their parents' interests or something. And it's kind of like I think you were a shitty dad, and you were a priest. So now I'm pretty sure that you were a shitty priest too. <laughs> yeah, because so, you're also a dad. So anyway, those are the two you know Catholic priests we have. So you know, it, it, I imagine if you're a Catholic viewer, um, this movie is probably incredibly offensive. But if you're a Satanist also incredibly offensive now then if you're an atheist it's a good time um not because it's a good movie <laughs> but uh just because it's nonsense yeah <laughs> i would say as a self-identified pastafarian i didn't feel any particular way they didn't you know bring up my, my people at all so it was <laughs> completely there was no pasta made in this movie yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> i get you know who else was also useless in this was the cop the, the detective guy that they when they were sending out so they they find this uh witch object that the satanist has cursed them with it looks like a skull and some under creepy stuff that's like been under the house and supposedly that's the source of the demonic possession so they just start faxing that photo to all the police stations saying anyone seen something like this the detective calls him up and he goes yes i have they go see him so next thing you know we're tromping through the woods we got uh mrs warren totally in a dream world where somehow influenced by the satanist but she's seeing a murder that happened before so she's like totally not able to do anything to protect herself and just kind of wandering through the woods chasing after her crazy ass is her husband who's just had a heart attack and he's like <laughs> on his cane and then there's the cop who seems to be in good shape and he within 30 seconds he's just gone somehow somehow they've lost him in 30 seconds and then at the, at the very end she runs to the cliff she almost falls off husband luckily saves her <clears throat> They get back up. Everything's fine. They're on the cliff. She's broken from this kind of spell, dream spell she was in. And then the cop comes up right at the very end, all <laughs> out of breath. Ooh, you guys. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't find you guys. Just just useless. There's nobody out there. The Warrens got to do it by themselves every time. Yeah. You know, like, my God, the Warrens really did have to do this one on their own. They even had to break into the morgue on their own. There was no one they could call about that. Yeah, they could have called the cops. They could have said, hey, could we see the body that you're going to check out tomorrow? Could we identify it now? No, they said, nope, we're not going to do that. We're just going to break the windows to go to the morgue. Yeah, I will say, I, so I think this movie has a lot of cheap scares. So one of the things that really bothered me about it, it and this will come back to the morgue, is that I feel like The Conjuring and Insidious 1, Insidious 2, like some of those early, early movies in this franchise did a really good job of like, setting up a traditional scare and they would just kind of ease off and maybe no, maybe nothing would pop up and you just feel unease and it, it generally builds this this feeling of suspense and you're like you never know when something's going to pop out and in, in insidious one there's a scene with the red guy right behind patrick wilson's face and it's it's a legendary scene it's really scary and this movie goes in and, and takes a lot of those shortcuts and does a lot of those loud jump scares but one of the scares i really really did like is in that morgue where the dead body gets up and starts walking at vera farmiga and he's like honey you gotta wake up you gotta wake up and then it's just it keeps coming and he grabs her and the dead body just collapses right next to them i think of all the scares that was probably one of the most like fun and effective for me yeah, that was, a, that good was a good one. So, speaking of scares in the franchise, or not even just scares, but moments in the franchise, there are a couple things I want to call out as, in my opinion, blatant acts of plagiarization from its own franchise. <laughs> so, we mentioned uh, Vera Farmiga playing Lorraine Warren, crawling under the house in her skirt. Um, so, you know, sure, it's always great to have someone crawling under a house, but I feel like I remember in the first Conjuring, one of the big climactic scenes being Vera Farmiga in a skirt, crawling into a crawl space and finding something spooky, which is exactly what happens in this movie. Um, similarly, uh, Arnie, one of his first encounters with the demon involves him, like, looking through a little peephole, right? And then, like, backing up, yep. and there's a demon right behind him. Exactly like when they reveal the demon in Insidious. There are just so many instances of them just wholesale taking things out of prior movies that have been made and being like, that worked then, it'll work now. And uh, the thing well, is, it kind of like, did, you know, like they, they were good moments then, they're good moments now. But the thing is, they were impressive then because they were kind of new. Like in Insidious in particular, that like half behind red demon head, 
I hadn't seen that before. Yep. Like, you know, like they had set me up. I thought there was going to be a jump scare. There wasn't. I was like, oh, and then they turned back and there was. And that was like kind of daytime. Was, yeah, it was daytime. It was kind of new. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and like similarly, like in The Conjuring, like the going into the crawl space, you knew it was going to be spooky. They didn't really do any jump scares, but it was spooky. In this movie, they just did the exact same thing. Like it would have been more of a twist to have a jump scare down there. So anyway, yeah. yes, they, they did everything and they did it passably, but it had been done before. So like when they did it, since they just lifted it wholesale, I knew what was happening every time. Well, do you think it's just that demons like to scare people the same way over <laughs> and over again? I mean, that, that raises a bigger question. Why are the demons scaring people? Like I get, I get why they want souls, right? That's, that seems pretty clear cut to me, right? Why the scaring? Is it like Monsters, Inc., where they need to scare them? Is that like the soul's got to be a scared yeah. soul? Like, what, what's going on here? I think it's an it thing, right? The scared, the more scared the kid is, the tastier they are. Mm. I, it has to be, right? Because otherwise, they have this playbook they're working from. There's there's no other way yeah. to explain it. Yeah. Oh, that could be it. I, I, I could see that. You know, like, <laughs> the demons, they come, and they're like, souls are tasty. Everyone likes soul stew. I like it as much as the next demon. But you need a bit of spice in there. And that's where the scares come in. It's like, you know, getting a bit of pepper in there, you know? Just like a little bit of, mm, you know, a little, <laughs> little bit of zing, you know, throw some lemon. So do you think that as like, so do you think like for the first like couple hundred thousand years of humans existing, there was like pretty, you know, like you just got to pretend to be an animal or some shit. And then technology started to come and they were like, oh shit, I can get in someone's Zoom call and scare them that way. Do, do you think the demons are adapting to the changing times? That's a good question. You know, uh, when was this movie based the the 80s the 90s maybe even the 70s am i am i wrong here i think yeah. late 70s early 80s yeah yeah so the demons <laughs> yeah. they're hopping on phone calls here remember like they call them and there's like screeching on the phone line so yeah. the demons must be adapting that's a good cat yeah so what, what i'm realizing here is that this isn't wholesale plagiarism this is excellent writing this is a writer that understands <laughs> demon, demon society and ecology. He understands what they're doing yeah. to get at humans. And he's just like, I want to yeah. remain consistent with the established game. Okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah, see, this, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't plagiarizing. It was contemporaneous demon behavior. <laughs> That's what they were doing back then. So you got, I mean, the audience would recognize if, the, if they did something that wasn't at a, you know, at, at a demonic character. Okay. I, so... I hated this movie, but for things to just to, to keep piling on positives, just to, to make myself seem a little more neutral on it, I think the these movies do a great job of set dressing their times. Like I, I feel like they yeah. the cars, the outfits, I, it's it's all so fun. I feel like you know they, they do a really good job of recreating the time. I feel like even the record player that Arnie fixes that ultimately like plays a, a pretty big role in in the murder scene is really cool, and I feel like. You know, in pure turn your brain off, like it, it's pretty believable as being like, oh hey, these people, these people actually inhabit a late 1970s space. I think it's it's pretty fun in that regard. The production values are off the chain for all yeah. of these movies. Yeah, I, so. I, I think there's really not enough good that can be said about the production value because, like, like Keegan said, the costuming great, the set design fantastic, the cinematography pretty good. Like, it's not in particularly inspired, but very competent. The actors, I mean, I love Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Like, I, I, I've been... I, they do a great job. They do a great so job. so much better than they need to <laughs> and be. And they must... I know. They, they must know how garbage the script is, right? Like, they've been in good movies. <laughs> both of them. Uh -huh. um, it's like, you just like, go ahead, phone it in for the fourth, the fourth one, you know? Like, we don't, we don't need you to give it your yeah, all. Yeah, they're not even phoning it in at this point. They're just like, we're gonna... We showed up, we're gonna kill it. And, you know, props to them. Because... That's... That was my biggest question was how long are they going to keep doing this? Like, are we going to, are we going to get like 70 year old, these actors doing the same roles? They're all grayed haired now. I'm like, Oh, these demons, my 20th demon heart attack. Oh, one of my favorite tweets I saw this week was, uh, what, what was it? It was, it was a picture of parasite where the dad is driving home the rich woman from the grocery store. And it says, and he has this dour face and it says me, me in 45 years driving home my children from the movie theater after watching fast and furious 45. <laughs> parentheses yeah. this used to be a series about cars <laughs> it's like how, how, how long, long are they can it commit? go on for <laughs> oh my god you know, you know that reminds me of um i saw that they want uh i forget whatever studio that does it right mgm or whoever universal they want uh, universal they, they're the ones that want a yep. crossover between fast and the furious and jurassic park <laughs> 
at this point, why not? We got aliens coming true. Like we might as well. We might as well do it. Let's get. I want five more of these movies. I want to see the Warrens. I want an underwater one. I want a space one. I want just just put them wherever. Let me see them go to work. Wait, you guys, if know, you guys, you guys know Jason X, the one where Jason's like on a space, space station. One. That yeah. with the Warrens. I want to see the Warrens. Yeah. You know, frozen and they get thawed out in a space station <laughs> and they're like space demons. Fuck yes, fucking let's do space it. demons. I, just ride this till the wheels fall off. Warner Brothers, you can have that fat. one for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me pose this to you guys. You have to pick one notable franchise to have a in, in ten years that will have a crossover with The Conjuring. What is it? Oh, <laughs> oh man. So ten. Oh, oh, the two popes. <laughs> I want, I want a Anthony Vatican Hopkins drama. <laughs> yeah, I want a Vatican drama, and yet, but there's a possession in it, and the Warrens gotta come in. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I feel like, and, and hear me out here. James Bond meets The Conjuring. Like James Bond is in the middle of like you know some real serious covert espionage shit. They've got you know whatever person they have playing James Bond. You know it's in ten years, so you know not Daniel Craig anymore. Or, you know no one like that. It's it, it's like one of the Jonas Brothers or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean maybe it's Justin Bieber. I don't know. But they've got whoever James Bond is in ten years. He's in this like serious covert case. Demons pop in. The only person that can help him are Ed and Lorraine Warren. <laughs> you could have a great scene where he turns around and there's like some kind of spooky ghost thing and he shoots it a bunch and he's like, all oh, but he's super cool and collected and he goes, well, that's new. And then like runs away. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of hoping that like he would seduce the demon and then in a later scene be talking with Ed and Lorraine Warren and they'd be like, you're possessed. And then they have to do an exorcism of James Bond. Oh, James Bond! <laughs> I, I hope he seduces the Warrens. That's what that I was thinking. Was, Ed Warren yeah. in a Speedo painted all gold. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, I think we've gotten... Uh, Keegan, what would, what would be your... Well, no, I oh, want yeah, to hear Keegan's right. crossover. I should have cut him off. Keegan. I... You know, I think we go complete left field and we do Predator. And then it turns out they're exercising Predator. These crazy hunting in the forest tendencies aren't really him. He's possessed. <gasps> and in the finale, they exercise him and he teams up with the Warrens. And then they fight the demons with <laughs> Predator. He carries both of the Warrens <laughs> on his shoulders. But and with his infrared the... sight, he can actually see yeah. the demons. How fucking sick is that? Yeah. That would be sick. And the whole hunting culture that the Predators have, no, it's just been possessed the whole time. They're actually really nice people. Yeah, like at the end of the movie, he's just disgusted. He throws his arm blades to the ground, his shoulder cannon, <laughs> and he says, oh, thank you. And he puts on a big moo moo and goes off into space. <laughs> Warner Bros, you can only select one. The other two were charging five million a pop. <laughs> five million is a steal we'll, though if you want all we'll three. We'll do the yeah. first we'll we'll do the first script too. We'll we'll get a rough copy out there. You guys can just work yeah, it. We can already have it in a writer's week. room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're pretty firmly into nonsense territory, but then again, you know, so was this movie from about minute two. <laughs> so <laughs> Anyway, I think it's about time to talk about overall ratings. What do you guys think? I'm ready. Let's I don't do think I have anything else. I'm good. All right. Well, Taylor, you got to bring us in on the spoiler-free section. So, Keegan, bring us in on the ratings. Oh, my God. Here's the thing. I The experience of watching this movie on my laptop, again, I had a similar thing with my TV where the subtitles, which I usually turn on, were being a little wonky. So I switched over to my laptop. I watched this in bed and I just could not focus on this movie at all. And I came into this review just hating the movie. But you know what? Talking about this movie with friends, hanging out. This this reminds me of the kinds of movie where in college I would have some friends come over. They'd bring the cheapest 24-pack pack of shitty beer and we'd go to Netflix and we'd see the worst new horror movie that was put up. I think this is emblematic of the, the stupidest popcorn movies that you find on streaming. You watch it and get drunk with some friends and eat two bags of microwave popcorn and you just laugh at how silly it is and you all just hang out and have a good time. So... I actually think this is this is an instance of me softening up a little bit. So if I had to give this a rating, I'd probably give it a 50 out of 90 
perfectly pleated ankle skirts. <laughs> okay. I like it. I like it. Well, that's a good scale. That's a good scale. Yeah, I yeah. think the context you provided is great too. Um because this is this yeah. is like that 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 total schlock movie if for some reason someone gave him several extra million dollars to make it with. Um Yep. So, yep. Taylor, what do you got? Yeah, I, I, you know, anytime the Warrens are in town, my brain is turned way down. I just, I, there's no critical thinking here. This is a real world with demons, and these people are trying to save us. So with that in mind, 8 out of 10 desperate uh, needs for prison reform for t- all tempered glass in prison. I don't know why this kid was able to slit his wrist twice from glass just hanging out in prison. We got to stop this. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing, and I hope it's been fixed since the 70s. All right. <laughs> So with that, I'm going to give my answer here. So for the record, I do not think this is a good movie, but I really applaud everyone that wasn't the writer for going in and giving it their all, just doing their damnedest to try and make this a good movie, despite that act being completely impossible. Um, and, you know, honestly, it was entertaining to watch. I watched it with my girlfriend. She, she I don't know if she's seen the first two. She certainly doesn't like the Warrens. I don't either. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, like, it was pretty damn entertaining. I had a pretty good time cheering, like, every time something went wrong. So with that, I think I would give this, like, 67 out of 80... Yeah, I think 67 out of 80 sounds good. 67 out of 80, uh, you know, potentially demonically induced heart attacks. But we really know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we're all kind of on the on the same page. I think, if anything, this movie is really just about how important heart health is. So, guys, make sure you're exercising mm. three times a week. <clears throat> moderate activity at the minimum. Watch your salt intake. It's huge. It's so easy to just eat too much with the popcorn. So, yeah, I think I think you don't want to end up like Ed Warren. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've, I've heard that it is easier for demons to induce a heart attack if your heart is less healthy. So, like, I, that, that's, true, I, that, I that's yeah. straight from the mouth of a Jesuit priest. I can't give his name here for confidentiality reasons. <laughs> but be active. Shamank Shabowalter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I one more thing I I forgot to bring this up earlier but I it's something I was I was listening to in some some interviews with the director so you brought up it's Michael Chavez who directed this who also directed The Curse of La Llorona which is for my money probably the worst in the entire franchise up there with the nun so I I think this is a better effort than that but one of the things he was bringing up is that the studio had wanted one of the characters from this and he won't come out and say it, but I'm assuming it's the witch. Uh, they wanted one of these characters to get their own spinoff film. And so they had, there was a lot of scenes shot to, fer- to flesh out one of the antagonists of this movie because they were going to get their own film down the line. But in the editing room, they decided against that and they edited the movie to, I don't know if it was a, an antagonist that they entirely cut out or one that was there that they reworked the narrative around. But I actually, as much as I dislike this movie, am pretty proud in the restraint that they showed to cut that out and kind of go against the the studio thing of expanding out this whole conjuring universe. So just one more positive, tiny little drop in the bucket of things for this movie having the slightest amount of restraint. So I should have said that earlier, but very surprising to hear. One of the first instances of any restraint being shown in this franchise since James Wan stopped directing them personally. Um, yeah. So I think it was a I think it was a bad call. I would go in <laughs> for a trilogy of the Satanist lady leading a, a cabal of. That's the thing. It, a cabal is always such a plot device. We never see it from the cabal's perspective. You know what I mean? We never see how they... It's really... I'd imagine it's very complicated running a world-controlling organization. I just want to know the logistics of what they're doing. You know? We we never get that. So if this was a setup for that, I'm very disappointed. You know, that was actually... uh, I was discussing this with my girlfriend. It's not the exact same thing. But uh, the whole whole movie, Lorraine Warren is foiling the Satanist woman's plans. And the Satanist woman, you know, she's got an altar set up. She's doing these complex rituals. She's picking targets. She's doing all this stuff. And Lorraine Warren's basically just like, stop! And then she's forced to stop. Um, And so I want to see a movie from the Satanist woman's perspective where she's like, who is this, you know, like, 
powerful woman that's able to stop me with a mere <laughs> yell from the right location. Like, how can I possibly compete with this otherworldly power? That sounds compelling. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd be in it. Uh, also, the demon's perspective. Yeah? That would be crazy. I want it to be like a Monsters, Inc. type twist. Where, no, turn, turns out they're not scary. They're just trying to power Demon City. I guess that's called. <laughs> Anyway, you know, Warner Bros., again, feel free to reach out at any time. But I feel like we should wrap up our discussion of The Conjuring. Let's do it. And talk about what we got coming for you next week. That sound good to you guys? Yep. All I'm right. stoked. All right. So we've got another A week next week. Uh, we, we're kind of off of our A week, B week rotation because it's summer movie season and the big hitters are coming out. So, uh, pow, 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 pow. Exactly. That's the sound of big hitters hitting. <laughs> um, so. What we've got for you next week is a review of In the Heights, directed by John M. Chu. So uh, I actually have to admit, I hadn't heard of this movie until Keegan put it on our schedule, but it's pretty clear to me just, uh, you know, checking out, uh, you know, Googling it, that it's, it's, it's somewhat anticipated by others. So I'm excited to see it. Um, but so just to give you a, a taste of what you're in for, if you join us next week, I'm going to read the IMDb blurb. And uh, there's... There's some words in Spanish here, and I have to admit that my, my, my Spanish is, is very rusty. So if I, if I mispronounce anything, I ask for some forgiveness. But here's the blurb. The scent of a cafecito caliente hangs in the air just outside of the 181st Street subway stop. The likable, magnetic bodega owner, Usnavi, saves every penny from his daily grind as he hopes, imagines, and sings about a better life. So sounds uh it sounds like potentially a little bit more upbeat than our past couple weeks um <laughs> and so that'll be exciting it also sounds like a musical which uh for the record mm -hmm. i can't stand but uh i think that our viewers will have a good time hearing about my thoughts on musicals so <laughs> it's also produced by uh oh my god lin-manuel miranda the hamilton guy so oh, shit. uh should be pretty good in that in that regard awesome I'm excited. This is our first musical. All right. Well, with that, that's going to be a wrap for our review of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as me and Taylor and were not as horrified by the lack of uh, substance as, as Keegan. Um, but anyway, join us next week for In the Heights.